Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. I have an encouraging message for you today. It's a one-off message. It's not part of a series, uh, but it's a message that has to do with this special date that we're celebrating Christmas, and I'm going to share uh, for a few minutes, and, and, and it's, I'm going to share from the, the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to the book of Luke. Um, the title of the message, if you're taking notes, is The Two Sides of Favor. The Two Sides of Favor. Now, what does it mean to have God's favor? Have you thought about that lately? You know, the story of Christmas begins with a young Jewish girl who has found favor with God. That's what the scripture says. Mary, who was most likely uh, in her late teens, she was a very young girl, was engaged to be married. And she was a daughter of Abraham, devoted to the law of Moses, a remarkable young woman, certainly hoping to build a life of peace and harmony with her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. And they had no idea what was about to happen. They had no clue what was coming to them. And what happened to this young girl was so significant that it compelled people to write accounts of what happened to her, to document it precisely. And Luke, Luke was a Jewish physician and a historian who writes one of those accounts to this Greek friend, uh, Theophilus. For what we understand, Theophilus was a significant person. Uh, He was probably a person of influence. And Theophilus became a believer in Jesus Christ later on when Jesus uh, started his ministry. So Luke is writing an account of the life of Jesus for his friend who is a new believer and is a Gentile. His name is Theophilus. In the beginning of this letter, Luke writes the following dedication. He says, many have undertaken, this is in Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. It says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, this is significant for two reasons. First, Luke talks about all of these accounts that were, that were handed down to them. This is a new generation of believers. And he's saying there's all of these accounts. All of these people wrote down these accounts of this significant thing that happened. And from eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus that were with Jesus from the beginning. So he takes all of these accounts... He investigates the claims, he considers the things that he himself witnessed, and he compiles his own careful account of what happened, everything from the beginning. That's the first reason why this is significant. The second reason is that Luke is not writing the Bible. 
Luke is not writing a, 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 a text that he thinks, mm, I bet this is going to get packaged with 65 other books, including the Hebrew Bible, and that someday people are going to call it the Holy Scriptures. He's not doing that. Luke is writing a letter to his friend. Certainly he didn't think that this was going to be read 2,000 years later in a language that didn't exist when he wrote it, in a land that as far as they know didn't exist either. Here we are on the other side of the world, 2,000 years later, speaking a language that didn't exist when this was written, yet it's been preserved. But this, this is a letter between friends. Luke is writing to his friend. So every time we read from Luke today, I want you to remember, this is a letter between friends. It's sacred, yes. It's holy, yes. It's the Word of God, yes. But it's a letter between friends. Now, why am I asking you to do that? Because it is my intention today that that we remove the distance between us and Mary. There is a distance that has been built between us and the story of Christmas throughout the years. And I believe it's happened because of mysticism, pageantry, and the cold feeling of high religion that has built up this distance between us and the story of Christmas throughout the centuries. And that doesn't simply make the nativity story unbelievable. But it makes the nativity story distant, unattainable, and somewhat magical. Now, we have the story of Christmas mixed up with all the fairy tales and the tall tales that feed the innocent imagination of children. And we think Christmas is for the little ones. When in fact, it is far from it. We need to be reminded that this event in history is not about Santa or elves, even though we have them walking around. And the reason why Santa doesn't bother me, theologically, is because Santa makes the difference between the magical and the miraculous evident. Friends, the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem happened. It's a historical fact. It's tough for anybody to try to refute that. There's more historical accounts of Jesus' birth than anybody in that era. And it started with an unknown young Jewish girl in an obscure village of Judea who had done everything as right as she could possibly do. A girl who kept herself and her reputation intact. A young woman who was remarkable. And according to the scriptures, she was so remarkable, she found favor with God. So Luke continues telling his friend the story. He says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to get to Elizabeth's pregnancy in a little bit. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor, here's that word again, with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now God has sent his messenger to Mary to tell her that she has found favor. That's an important thing to consider. Now when you think of favor, what do you think about? Have you thought about having favor with somebody, maybe a friend, maybe, maybe at work? What do you consider favor? I'll tell you one side of favor because we're going to talk about two sides today. But there's one side of favor that most of us are familiar with. Now recently my wife and I had to fly to Florida. And uh, it wasn't a planned trip and so we had to book the tickets. I booked the cheapest tickets I could find. But the airline upgraded us to business at no cost. Favor, right? Come on. Now imagine, especially in this busy, busy season, that you are driving up to a parking lot on one of your favorite department stores, and the moment you pull up, the parking lot is packed, but someone in a very good parking spot just pulls out right in front of you. That's favor. And listen, if you think it's silly to pray for a parking spot, you've never lived in greater New York City. All right? You could lose your faith, you could lose your temper, you could lose your marriage looking for a parking spot in this area. <laughs> Imagine that you're at your favorite store, you're shopping, you find the item that you want, you take it to the register, and, and this item is, the, the, the attendant says, hey, this item is 50% off. Favor, right? That's high favor right there. You go, let me have two then. <laughs> favor is a gift, a good break, something that makes life better, something that makes life easier. That's one side of favor. And Mary is called highly favored. Mary is called highly favored by God's messenger. And she's bestowed with the greatest gift someone could ever have, a child, which truly is. It's the greatest thing anyone could ever have. Mary, Mary is going to have a baby. Not only that, Mary has a distant relative. Many people believe it was a distant cousin named Elizabeth who was older than she was. And Elizabeth was barren. Elizabeth could not have a baby even though she prayed and wanted a baby. Now in her late life, she is pregnant. So when the angel tells Mary that Elizabeth is pregnant, Mary goes in haste to see her cousin, probably to try to grab some hand-me-downs, right? Try to claim the, the, the baby clothes and the toys. No, I'm kidding. Luke chapter 1, verse 39 says this, And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home, that's Mary's husband, and, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful scene. And I want a quick side note on the message here. For those of you who are not familiar with the story, this baby in Elizabeth's belly is John the Baptist. It's the one who would later baptize Jesus. 
But what I want you to notice is that Jesus' presence in the womb causes John the Baptist to leap. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so is John. Which for those of you who are a little bit of Bible geeks, you can, uh, you can realize something amazing happened here. Before John baptized Jesus in water, Jesus' presence baptized John in the Holy Spirit. In the womb. And the question is, can a baby be filled with the presence of God in the womb? And the answer is yes. We see it here. Can a baby be filled with the life of God in the womb? We have our answer in the scripture. Let me encourage you today. Expecting mothers, because we know we have a few. And fathers. You know, what you declare over your unborn baby matters. What you declare, the love you bestow, the words you speak, the things you declare, they make a difference. And we see this here with Mary and Elizabeth. Let me encourage you to speak life over your baby. Pray for your baby. Bless your baby. Because God has a plan for your child. So these two moms are basking in joy. They're going to deliver a baby. They're both going to have a baby. And Mary is so full of joy, she begins to sing. She breaks out into prose and, and song. And it says, Luke writes in chapter 1, verse 46, he says, Mary said, my, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my Savior. For he has been mindful of the, of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. Mary is joyful. She returns home, and in the last month of her pregnancy, close to her due date, they embark on a journey to Bethlehem. See, the Roman emperor had declared that everyone had to register. He was counting everybody in his empire and the Roman emperor at the time required a census so because Joseph was a descendant of David he had to go to Bethlehem which was the city of David and to register as a fam as a family member of the lineage of David this was unprecedented it was an unprecedented event and it caused all sorts of issues in Bethlehem and if you think you have congestion and traffic on Christmas now just remember there was congestion and traffic in the first Christmas too <laughs> There were donkeys and camels, but hey, those roads were packed. In fact, they were so packed, Joseph could not find a room at the hotel. We know the story. It's a famous story. They couldn't find room in the inn, in the hotel. And so they ended up, they ended up staying at the stable. Now, we have attached garages now in our, in, our, in, our, in our facilities, right? You have apartment buildings and you have homes that have attached garages for our cars well obviously they didn't have cars back then but they had donkeys and and camels and 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 sheep i don't think they rode sheeps sheep but it was one of the animals that they traveled around with and what they would do is they would have a stable that would be attached to the home or the inn so that whenever somebody would be uh, arriving from a from a journey the animal would have a place to eat and sleep and, and, and rest and recover. And it's believed that most likely this stable that they were part of was attached to the hotel or the house that they were staying. But because the house was full, all the rooms were taken, they stayed in the stable. And so 
Joseph and Mary were there that night. And that was the night Jesus was born. An unprecedented moment, a simple moment. It would have been a quiet event if it, if it weren't for the fact that this was Jesus. And so Luke continues to write to his friend Theophilus. And he talks about the birth of Jesus, what happened with the birth of Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a story of the angels coming and announcing the birth of Jesus to shepherds, telling them that the sign would be that this baby would be in a manger. That he, the new Savior, would be in a manger. And so we pick up on chapter 2, verse 13. He says, Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor, there's that word again, rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So the shepherds came and Matthew writes about the Magi, the three wise men who came, regular people of low status, people of high status, all came to acknowledge and worship Jesus. Could you imagine? Could you imagine having a baby boy in that circumstance and suddenly having strangers coming to the place where you are unannounced saying hey this is what happened we saw angels singing and they said that this is the promised messiah that this baby boy will become the savior of israel could you imagine that happening in that moment? People that they never saw. Now, as a dad, I can't think of anything more delightful than knowing that my child will do well in life. And I think if you're a parent in the room, that's probably your highest goal. Once you become a parent, your goal is just to make sure that everything will go well for your children. Is what we work for, isn't it? It's the priority of our life as parents to make sure that our children will know their purpose and that they will be aware of their calling. And so here is Mary who has just given birth. She hadn't even had time to hand Jesus off to her mother-in-law so they could go on a date night. She's still holding the baby. And she is told, we saw angels singing the moment Jesus was born, declaring peace on earth. We were told that, we were told that he is the Christ to be, to, to, that was to come. And sign was given to us that this baby was going to be lying on a manger. The three wise men said, we saw a star. And we were, told, we were told that the king of the Jews was born. And the star rested on the house that you were staying. And that's why we're here. And we come bearing gifts. Now that's favor, isn't it? That's the side of favor that we all want. That's the side of favor that we desire. We want the blessing. We want the prophecy. We want the certainty for us and for our children that things are going to go well. That what we're working for, that what we're toiling for, that, that we're going to have open doors and that opportunity will, will be there, that the hand of God is in our lives. We want that. I want, to, I want you to consider the other side of favor. Because even though Luke's account is amazing and it is a complete account in one sense, Luke is writing to a Gentile, someone who's not familiar with the law of Moses and he's not familiar with some of the details that the, those, hap, those accounts would have 
caused. There's another side of favor. See, anyone who has reached the pinnacle, anyone who has done something worthwhile, and that's, there might be you here today, Anyone who has gotten to a place of honor and grace and success by good and righteous means knows that favor has a context. See, Matthew is another disciple of Jesus, one who actually walked with Jesus. And Matthew was not writing to Gentiles when he wrote his account of Jesus' life. He was writing to his Jewish brothers and sisters. People who were familiar with the law of Moses, who knew the implications of what had happened to Mary. So Matthew begins the account by saying, hey, when Mary was found to be with child, he didn't even mention the angel. He went straight to Joseph because that's what they would have thought. It was a scandal. Matthew says, hey, listen, Joseph planned to leave her. It's right there. You can put it on the screen. It's right there on Matthew 1.19. Joseph planned to leave her, but because he loved her, he was not going to make a big scene. So he was just going to leave her quietly. It took an angel of God to speak to him in a dream for Joseph to be convinced that Mary's account of the pregnancy was true. I mean, it makes sense, right? Could you imagine? This has never happened before. The young girl that you're pledged to be married is... Shows, begins to show a, 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 a child, a pregnancy. She says, I'm pregnant. And it's, it's God. Joseph is like, I, I think you have a problem. I love you very much, but I'm going to return you to your parents. You know? Like, like it's a Costco purchase. I'm going to take you back, ma'am. An angel of God had to show up and say, Joseph, she is not lying. It's true. Now, if the angel shows up, you better believe it, right? He was a fearing man, a God-fearing man. So Matthew also explained that when the wise men visited, it wasn't just gifts that they brought. It wasn't just frankincense and myrrh that they brought. When the wise men visited... The, the emperor of Rome found out why they were there. And they said, the new king of the Jews has been born. And Herod, who was the king of Judea under the emperor, sought to kill Jesus. Matthew tells us that such was his intent. That Joseph and Mary had to escape to Egypt from under the king's rule to be able to to, uh, uh, make sure that Jesus wasn't killed by Herod. They had to go to Egypt against their will. And then when they came back, they had, they had to live in quiet seclusion because Herod's son was in power. We see that in the scriptures, in Matthew's account. Now, does that still sound like favor to you? It's the same story. Having the king want to kill your child. Having your, 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 your fiancé want to break up with you. Does that sound like favor? Does that sound like somebody who's highly favored? If you just read Matthew's account of the story, would you consider Mary highly favored? See, this is the other side of favor. 
the side that counts the cost, the side that stands, the side that endures. She was favored, not because of what was around her, but she was favored because of what was in her, because of the promise, because of the child. This young woman faced tremendous adversity because she was favored. And some of you need to hear this today because you're facing adversity right now. You're facing difficult circumstances right now. And you might even be doubting whether God has given you favor, whether God has blessed you. But you have to understand that you might be facing adversity right now, not because you caused it, but because God has a promise on your life. See, you, you have a call from God to do something great in the world, and, when, and, when, and you might be facing your own Herod. Your own version of Herod who's trying to kill God's promise in your life. I just need you to know this today. That God's favor is in your life. That God's presence is in your life. That adversity is not a sign that God is not with you or that God is not for you. On the contrary, in many cases, it is a sign that God has called you. That he, has, that he has made a promise over your life because the evil one doesn't want the goodness of God to be seen or shown in your life. So he fights like Herod against you, trying to kill God's plans and God's dreams in your life. But you have to know today, without a shadow of a doubt, that you are favored. You have the favor of God. And here's the insight and the lesson for us today. Favor and stewardship are connected. What we can learn from this young woman is that favor and stewardship is connected. You, you find a young lady told by God that she has found favor with God, but what does she receive from God? She receives responsibility. She receives a mission. She receives a purpose. Something to make her life worthwhile. And my, my question to you is this today. Have you seen the favor of God in your life? Have you been able to identify it? What would you expect it to look like? An easy life or responsibility, a call, a mission. We have to consider the other side of favor. You may say, J.D., I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty common person. I have an ordinary life. I don't think... I have the favor of God because I'm just a simple, normal person. I got to tell you today, you're not just anything. You are a child of God, made in His image. And God has given you favor. He has given you talents. He has given you ability. He has given you a call to fulfill. And here's the problem. We live in a world that says that easy is better. We live in a world that says that success is to have your life be all about yourself. But that's not true. See, we want the gold, we want the frankincense, we want the myrrh without the Herods of life. We want the praise of the shepherds and, and we want to be filled with, with wonder without the adversity, without the fight. But friends, that's not favor. Favor has two sides. Favor grows at the pace of our stewardship. 
Here's what I mean by that. The more we understand and live like everything God has given us is for us to be a blessing to others, the more His favor will grow. Everything God has given us, everything God has given you, take care of it like it's yours. But live like it's for others. You know, favor is the strength of responsibility to be trusted with God's best for the sake of others. That's why we can say that Mary found favor. Because look at her life. She conceived, she gave birth, and nurtured her baby so she could give him to the world. So she could give him to the Lord. That's not a natural instinct, is it? Because we want to hold on to things. But listen to, to what Mary did. It was Mary's willingness to release, to take care of Jesus, that, that helped Jesus thrive. If you remember, in, in John, John chapter 2 talks about Jesus' very first miracle. And it might be intriguing to you the moment where Mary actually puts him up to it. Right? If, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're a Bible head, you probably wonder, like, why, why is Mary starting this whole thing? Jesus tells her, my time has not come yet. And, and Mary goes, like, do whatever he tells you. You know, in other words, come on, son. It's time. I believe that that was on purpose. Because here, Mary is given the responsibility and the mission to have the baby, to nurture it, to, to, to raise this child until the moment where she releases it to be what God has called him to be. In other words, God, he's yours. I had him, I fed him, I took care of him. Now he's yours. The favor of God in your life will be as strong as your stewardship of it. It's important for us to understand that. And my question and challenge to you is, are you willing to take care of what God has blessed you with like it's yours so that you can give it to others? Are you willing to do that? See, I'm so proud of our worship team. Our entire team here at church. But these guys come in here at 7.30 in the morning. They practice. They, every Sunday, they, they come and, and, and get ready so that we can worship together at 10.30 a.m. Each week. You know, during the week, they're prepping the service. They're learning the songs. They're putting the service together. Why? Because favor grows at the pace of our stewardship. That's true of every team member, every single person who serves. You know, if you were to talk to each person in our team, they're going to tell you they don't have an easy life. They don't have an easy life. They have challenges. But they have the favor of God. They have the favor of God. Therefore, they live like they have a purpose, like they're on a mission. And this is meant to be true of every single one of us. You know, God has given you favor. He has given you a mission. Are you willing to be favored by God? That means that if you're a husband or a wife in the room, your marriage can be an example of this. Are you willing to fight to have a great marriage so that your kids can grow up blessed? Are you willing to give up, to sacrifice, to let go of what you like for the sake of what you love? You know, at work, if you want the favor of God, are you willing to face the criticism that comes with it? 
The flack that you get for living openly the way that God has called you to live. Friends, Christmas happened. It's a fact. Salvation came to the world because a young Jewish teenager found favor with God. And she faced every single challenge that came against her so that God's will, so that God's will could be complete in her life. And that's our call. That's our example. That we may live like Mary, that we may live with the same focus, to, to focus on the will of God. That's better than silver. That's better than gold. That's better than frankincense and myrrh. And it is my prayer and desire that your life will be filled with God's favor this Christmas. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.